Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me once again to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, as we read the verses 12 and 13. And these two verses also form the text for the sermon. Hear God's holy word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, when God saves a sinner, the first things he does is he puts him to work. Now that may sound a bit strange, but it's true. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, after declaring that we're saved by grace through faith alone, not of works, lest any man should boast, Paul goes on to say that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's clear that God did not save us so that we can simply coast our way into heaven. We are saved for a purpose. We are saved to work. Now that only stands to reason. When we're sick, the doctor does not prescribe medication so that we can go home and sleep all day. He does so so that we can get back to work. And that's precisely the point that Paul is making in the words of our text. Philippians 2, the verses 12 and 13. Paul in these verses reminds the Philippians of their calling, that they were to work out their own salvation. Or to put it another way, they were to work out what God had worked in. Now, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to work out our own salvation? This is what we hope to consider with the Lord's help today. And my theme for the sermon is working out our own salvation. And we'll see that Paul here presents us, first of all, with a bold imperative, and secondly, with a powerful incentive. The Apostle Paul, in our text, exhorts the Philippians to work out their own salvation. Again, he writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, before we consider the various aspects of our text, we first of all need to understand something of the context. In fact, our text itself demands that we do so. For you notice that the very first word in our text is the word, therefore. The word, therefore, is a connecting word. It connects what follows to what has preceded, bringing it to a conclusion. So what is the connection between our text and what precedes? Or to put it another way, what is the therefore, therefore? 
Well, to answer that question, we need to refer back to chapter 1, verse 27. And there the Apostle Paul exhorted the Philippians to let their conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And by that he meant, live and act in such a way that demonstrates that you are a disciple or a follower of Christ. Following this, in the second half of verse 27, all the way to chapter 2, verse 1, he explains what this looks like in terms of our relationship to those outside and inside the church. To those outside the church, this involves, he says, first of all, standing fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Secondly, not being terrified by our adversaries. And thirdly, suffering for Christ's sake. Now to those within the church, this involves also five things. First of all, being like-minded. Secondly, having the same love. Thirdly, being of one accord, of one mind. Fourthly, not doing anything through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, each esteeming other better than themselves. And fifthly and finally, everyone looking not on his own things, but also on the things of others. And then as if to encourage them in this, Paul in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2 holds up the example of Christ. And he observes that although Christ was God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, nevertheless he took upon him the form of a servant, and he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. And as a reward for his atoning work, Paul goes on to say that God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. Well, now in verses 12 and 13, with the example of Christ before them, Paul picks up on what he wrote in chapter 1, verse 27, to chapter 2, verse 4, and he continues to exhort the church. Specifically, as we have seen, he exhorts them to work out their own salvation. Now, in the original Greek, the verb to work out is in the imperative mood. That means it's a command. And it's also in the present tense. And therefore, it describes an ongoing action. So literally, what Paul is saying is this. Continually work out your own salvation. Or we could say, keep on working out your own salvation. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, let's be clear what Paul does not mean. He most certainly does not mean that we have to work towards or for our salvation. That would certainly contradict the Scriptures. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul here makes it abundantly clear that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, meaning we cannot do anything towards our salvation. Now this view would also clearly contradict what Paul writes. For Paul does not write, work for or towards your own salvation, but he says, work out your own salvation. Besides, earlier in this epistle, he had clearly indicated that the Philippians were already saved. In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul thanks God for their fellowship in the gospel. And in verse 7, he says, they were all partakers with him of grace. 
So if they were already saved, then he cannot be asking them to work for their own salvation. So then, what does Paul mean? Well, the verb that Paul uses here means to bring something to fulfillment or to fullness or completion. It was used in ancient Greek literature to describe miners extracting every bit of precious metal from a mine. And so what Paul is saying is this, work out your own salvation. And by that he means work out the practical implications of the salvation that God has bestowed on you in every area of your life. It means, as I said earlier, to work out what God has already worked in. Now, this has tremendous and far-reaching and practical implications. It has implications for how we spend our money, for how we use our time, for what we do for entertainment. It has implications for what music we listen to, what books and magazines we read, what websites we visit, what friends we keep, what language we use, what we do for a living, how we raise our children, how we relate to our spouse and our priorities in life, and so on. So in sum, to work out your own salvation means to put God first and to glorify him in every area of your life. Now, in connection with this command, there are several important qualifiers. And the first qualifier relates to the recipients. This command, you'll notice, comes only to believers. And that's clear from the fact that Paul addresses this command to his beloved. That's the word that he uses. Now, who are these people? Who are the beloved? Well, they're believers, of course. They're called beloved because they are beloved by the Apostle Paul, to be sure, but ultimately by God himself through their union with Jesus Christ. Now, this is nothing short of amazing. Because by nature, we are not beloved. We are enemies of God and the objects of his eternal wrath and condemnation. But in Christ, we who are enemies can become beloved, beloved of God. And that was the case here as well. These Philippians, who formerly were enemies of God and worshippers of idols, became beloved of God. And those who are beloved by God are beloved by Paul. The point is, this command comes to believers. It's believers who are commanded to work out their own salvation, not unbelievers. And that for the simple reason that only believers have a salvation to work out. Unbelievers simply do not. So the message to unbelievers is not to work out, but rather to ask God to work in. And if you're not a believer today, this is precisely the prayer that you must pray. You must repent and believe and ask God to work this salvation in your heart so that you in turn may work it out. Now the second qualifier that Paul mentions here relates to circumstances. Believers are to work out their own salvation at all times. Notice again what Paul writes. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now remember, Paul was not in Philippi when he wrote this letter. He was under house arrest in Rome. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 25, he had expressed the hope that he would see them again. But that was not certain. And in the meantime, he said, they were to work out their own salvation. In fact, he says they were to do this much more in his absence than in his presence. Now, some commentators connect that phrase to the word obey. And so they read it like this. As you have always obeyed, 
not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. But it's probably better to connect this phrase to the word work out. And so what Paul is saying is this, just as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Although Paul reverses the order for the sake of emphasis. Now, why did Paul say this? Because he knew that the Philippians loved him, just as he loved them. And when you love someone, then you want to do what pleases them. But Paul did not want this. Paul did not want the Philippians to work out their salvation just to please him. He wanted them to work out their own salvation to glorify God, which was always Paul's goal in everything that he did and everything that he said. What is more, Paul was the founder of this church at Philippi. He founded this church and he nurtured it. He was also an apostle of Jesus Christ. And as such, it would have been easy for the church to rely on him, to lean on him too much, just like some churches today rely or lean on their pastors too much. And Paul understood that. And so he warned them against this. He says, as it were, don't do that. Don't look to me. Look to the Lord. And looking to the Lord, continue to work out your own salvation. You know, when my children were small, I put training wheels on their bikes. But when they became older, I took the training wheels off because I wanted them to learn to ride on two wheels. Now, they were scared at first, and they fell a few times as well. But eventually, they got the hang of it. And before long, they were just as comfortable riding without training wheels than with training wheels. In fact, if I suggested to them to put the training wheels back on, they would say no. They preferred to ride without them. Now that's the idea here as well. Paul wanted the Philippians to work out their own salvation, not only in his absence when the training wheels were on, but also much more, in fact, in his absence when the training wheels were off. Now there's a third qualifier that Paul mentions here, and it relates to attitude. Paul writes that they were to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the original Greek places this first for the sake of emphasis. So literally what it says is, with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. Now, the word fear in the Greek is the word phobos, from which we get the English word phobia. And this is not a fear of losing our salvation. Paul's not saying that if we don't work out our own salvation, we might lose it, because that's impossible. The Bible teaches clearly that once we're saved, we will always be saved. You can't lose what God has begun. This is a fear of God, not a terrifying fear, but a fear of reverence and a fear of awe. It's the fear that a child has for his loving father. It's a fear of offending him, of hurting him, of disappointing him. The word trembling is the Greek word tromos, from which we get the English word trauma. This is not a physical trembling. Paul's not saying that we must work out our own salvation, literally quaking at the knees, but rather with what John MacArthur calls a healthy anxiety. And this anxiety is rooted in two things. First of all, in our own weakness and inadequacy. You see, the believer has two natures, an old sinful nature and a new holy nature. While the new nature is dominant, the old nature can at times be quite powerful. 
And Paul describes the conflict that sometimes arises between these two natures in Romans chapter 7. And the believer knows this. He knows how easily it is for him to be led into temptation and to go astray. And that causes him to fear and to tremble. Secondly, this anxiety is rooted in the consequences of failure. Living the Christian life is a serious matter. When we don't live the Christian life the way we should, we dishonor the name of God, we quench the Holy Spirit, we become the objects of the Lord's chastening, we can even give occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And the believer knows this too, and that too causes him to fear and to tremble. Now, needless to say, this fear and trembling does not come naturally. It's a grace. It's wrought in our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. Only the Holy Spirit can cause us to fear and tremble like this. And he does this by opening our eyes to see our sinfulness and our own insufficiency and our weakness before God. And when we have come to see something of these things, we cannot help but go through life, not triumphantly and victoriously, like many professing Christians today, but rather with fear and with trembling. My friend, what about you today? Are you also working out your own salvation? Are you putting sin to death? Are you living out your faith in every area of your life? Are you pursuing holiness with every fiber of your being? And are you doing this with fear and trembling, the fear of God and a healthy anxiety? Oh, I know what Paul presents here is not easy. And we fail in this time and time and time again. Nor will we ever be able to do so perfectly. And the apostle knows this, of course. And he also knows how discouraging this can be for us. And therefore, after issuing a bold imperative, he proceeds to provide a powerful incentive. And that brings us to our second point. Paul commands the Philippians to work out their own salvation. This is their task. This is their responsibility as children of God. But this raises the question, how can they do this? Is this just something that they can do in and of themselves? Is it the case that once God saves us from our sins, the rest is up to us? The answer to that question is obviously no. And that's clear from the following verse, verse 13. After commanding the Philippians to work out their own salvation, Paul writes these words, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, beloved, what a comforting statement that is. Paul has just commanded us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But who can do this? Left to ourselves, we cannot and we will not by nature. Well, what then? Should we then just throw up our hands in despair? Should we throw in the towel? Should we just give up? Well, the answer of the Apostle Paul is no, not at all. For he says, God will give us the grace. Paul says, he will work in us. The Greek word here is energon, or we get the English word energize from that. God energizes his people. He empowers them. How does he do that? 
How does he empower them to work out their own salvation? Well, he does that through his Holy Spirit. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him as the only hope and ground of our salvation, God sends his Holy Spirit to take up his abode in our hearts. And he is the one who empowers God's people to do what? Paul tells us to will and to do. To will meaning to desire and to do meaning to carry out the will of God. Now that too is a great comfort. Many times we do not want to do the will of God. We want to do our own will. We want to go our own way and do our own thing and sometimes we do. And even when we do what the will of God is, we are utterly unable. But Paul reminds us here that as we work, God is working too. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he is energizing us both to desire and to do the will of God. Think of a little girl baking a cake with her mom. She's stirring the batter in the bowl, but the batter is so thick that she cannot stir it by herself. So what does mom do? Well, she puts her hands over the hands of her daughter, and they stir together. So who's stirring the batter? Well, mom and her daughter. They're working together. The daughter thinks that she's doing the stirring, but mom knows best. It's only her strength and her energy that enables her daughter to stir the batter. So it is in the life of sanctification. Living the Christian life is both God's work and ours. We have to work out our own salvation, that's true. But we can only do so as God works in us both to will and to do. It's very important that we understand that. Over the centuries, Christians have tended to one of two extremes when it comes to living the Christian life. The one extreme is known as quietism. Quietists believe that the work of sanctification does not and cannot involve any effort on our part. In sanctification, they say, the believer is completely passive. The believer simply has to let go and let God. We must simply surrender ourselves to God and let him fill us with his Holy Spirit. And once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we will automatically live the Christian life. And until then, we must be quiet, hence the term quietism. The other extreme is something called pietism. Now, pietism is the exact opposite of quietism. Pietists believe that the work of sanctification is largely dependent on us. If you want to grow in holiness, they said, you must do certain things. You must pray, you must read the Bible, and you must do good works. In fact, many pietists tended to be quite methodistic in their approach. And so they would spend so much time in prayer, so much time in helping the poor, so much time in reading their Bible, and so on. And they believed that in doing these things, they could become more and more holy. Now, both of these views contain an element of truth in them. The quietists are correct in emphasizing that the work of sanctification is the work of God. But they are wrong in downplaying the role of man to the extent that they do. Similarly, the pietists are correct in emphasizing that the work of sanctification is the work of man. 
but they're wrong in downplaying the role of God to the extent that they do. The proper balance is to be found here in our text. Sanctification is both the work of God and a work of man. We work out as God works in. Now that means we are responsible for living the Christian life. God's not going to do this for us. He will justify us, and he will enable us to become more and more sanctified, but the work of sanctification, although it's God's work, it is a a work in which man is fully cooperative and responsible. We can't be sanctified apart from the grace of God. He makes us both willing and able. And why does he do this? Why does he make us willing and able? Why does he want us to be sanctified? Paul tells us, for his good pleasure. God makes us willing and able to work out what he has worked in because it brings him pleasure. So let me ask you as I close, do you desire to bring pleasure to God? If you don't, if you only want to bring pleasure to yourself or to others, my friend, you're not a Christian. A Christian is one who by definition wants to please God. His whole reason for being is to please God, to glorify God. That's why he hates and flees from sin and pursues after holiness. That's why, in the words of our text, he strives to work out his own salvation because he knows that this brings pleasure to God. And what brings pleasure to God brings pleasure to himself. So I ask you again, do you desire to bring pleasure to God? Just take a look at your life. What area of life, of your life, is not in sync with the will of God? What habit do you need to stop? What lust or desire do you need to conquer? What relationship do you need to break or to make right? What attitude do you need to change? What tasks do you need to perform? In what area did you need to be more faithful? What wrong do you need to make right? What act of service do you need to perform? My friend, don't make any excuses. Don't say, well, I can do nothing myself. The Lord has to do this for me. No, if you're a believer, God is at work in you, enabling you to do his will and to live to his glory. Work out, therefore, what God has worked in. Work out your own salvation, with fear and trembling. And he will help you. And in this way, he will be glorified. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.